Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles today, uh, can you turn to James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4? James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. We're going to look at today trials. We are pilgrims. We're passing through this life and we're on our way to heaven. But as we trek through this life, trials are inevitable. Everyone here sitting here is, is in one of three places. You're either just coming out of a trial. Some of you here today, as you sit in the pew, you're presently in a trial. Or you're one day going to face a trial. And trials are not good news for an unbeliever or a believer. Because trials brings us those things that we don't want. Trials brings us feelings of, of, of stress hardship, suffering, misery. And this passage we have before us in James gives us the right perspective on trials. So in the midst of a trial, we don't break, fold, give up, and throw in the towel. If you have your Bibles, in James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We're just going to bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we can come before you on this Sunday morning as your people to worship you and hear your word preach. We pray, Lord, that as your word goes forth, that the word of your grace can build up your body. We pray, Lord, that your word would do a work in our hearts. Your word is able to teach, to reprove, correct, and train your people in righteousness. We pray, Lord, that, that your word will give us guidance, encouragement, and strength, that, that we may face the storms of trials that are thrown at us in and day, day in and day out. We thank you, Lord, for your son, for, for your grace, for your mercy which are new every morning. We pray, Lord, that you give me the grace to communicate effectively. In Jesus' name I pray. The, the, the book of James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. The, the book of James is a practical book. It, it, it shows us a skill and it shows us how to be skilled in living. The book of James shows us how to behave as a Christian. And here... James models for us of what kind of attitude we should have as God's people. And the attitude we should have as God's people is one of humility. James was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, in this letter, he doesn't go out and boast and saying, I'm the biological half-brother of Jesus Christ. But look how he identifies himself. In, in verse 1, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James uh, didn't believe in Christ on, in the, during his earthly ministry. But in the, as we studied through the book of Acts, we saw that James, in the upper room, we find him there praying. You know, what in the world caused James to go from a place of unbelief to belief? And 1 Corinthians 15 gives us the answer. When Jesus rose again from the grave, one of the persons that Jesus appeared to was James. So the resurrection of Christ was the undeniable proof 
for James to come to faith in Jesus Christ. When, G- when he saw that Jesus rose from the grave, he understood that his half-brother was who he said he claimed to be. That the, he was the Jewish Messiah foretold of the prophets of old. That he is the Savior of the world. The resurrection of Christ was so life-transforming for James that he soon became one of the leaders of the early church. So despite James being a leader of the early church, despite James being a biological half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to look at the way James introduces himself. Once again, in James 1, verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, The Greek word there for servant is doulos, which is a slave. A slave is someone who is deprived of all their rights. They are subject to a master. In the same way, God has purchased us from the slave market of sin and death by his precious bloods. We are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has the sovereign right to bring whatever trials he and his wisdom sees fit to bring into our lives. To, to, to whom did James write to? In, in verse 1, it says, he wrote to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. James was addressing Jewish Christians who were being persecuted for their faith. These Jewish Christians were, were, were facing great trials for their faith. And in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the hardship, some of the Jewish Christians were wavering in their faith. Some, their faith began to grow stronger. See, some people have no faith, some people have small faith, but God wants his people to have great faith. What happens to our muscles if we don't work out? What happens to our muscles if we don't give them resistance? Immediately, they begin to atrophy. In the same way, if we don't give resistance to our faith, once once we start going to the gym and start working out, our muscles become stronger, larger, and, and our muscles even begin to have, develop more endurance. In the same way, we find ourselves in the midst of a trial, in the midst of persecution. As we exercise our faith, our spiritual strength increases. Our spiritual endurance increases. So the, the first point we want to look at this morning is uh, the fact of trials. In verse 2, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Notice that James didn't say here, if you fall into trials of various kinds. He says, when you fall into trials of various kinds. Whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, if you're going to walk through this life, trials are inevitable. Job says in Job 5.7, man is born for trouble as the sparks fly upwards. Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. There are some adherents today of the health, wealth gospel. Those who adhere to the health, wealth gospel, they don't have a theology of suffering. The health, wealth gospel teaches that you can have the kingdoms of this world in this life. That in this life is one of of of, of health, wealth, and prosperity. That you should, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't expect hardship, trials, and suffering. And this trial. It doesn't help anybody. This theology doesn't help anybody who's in the midst of a, of a sickness, who's in the midst of a trial, who's in the midst of suffering. Uh, there are several problems with the health, wealth 
theology, and one of the problems is that the Bible never promises believers that they'll be exempt from trials. In Philippians 1.29, it says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. So we see that the, the Christians at least receives two gifts. One is the gift of salvation. It says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should, only, you should not only believe in Him, but the, salvation is not the only gift we receive. It says we should suffer for His sake. Another God, a gift that God gives us people is the gift of suffering. The, the more seriously we take our faith in Christ, the, the more suffering we would experience. First Peter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. To, to suffer and face trials is the calling of the Christian life. The second problem we see with the health, wealth, gospel theology is that those who teach this theology, when someone in their congregation is, has, is a sickness, or going through hardship or loss, Immediately, they point the finger at them and say it's because of some personal sin in their life. See, uh, but when we look at the scriptures and, and the word of God, we see that, that some of the most godliest men have suffered sickness, who have suffered uh, hardship, has, have, have been through the trials of life. And one is the Apostle Paul. He was probably one of the most mature Christians that ever lived. And the Bible says he had a thorn in the flesh. Some Bible scholars believe this to be some sort of ailment. Timothy had some type of stomach illness. Job, the Bible says, from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head, he had boils. And Job 1, it speaks of Job, and it says he was a blameless and upright man who feared God and shunned evil. So we see that it is wrong to immediately... Uh, make a one-to-one -one correlation between sickness and personal sin. Because there are various reasons why there might, you might be sick. One of them is we, we simply live in a fallen world. Uh, the moment Adam sinned, he died instantly in the spirit, and progressively his body began to decay, and the curse of sin entered the world. So that's why we have, uh, that's why we have sickness, that's why we have disease, tornadoes. We live in a fallen world. And the, the, when we read the scriptures, it also gives the possibility that some people are sick because of personal sin. In James 5, verse 14 to 15, it said, the author said, uh, says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. So we see that some people, they might be under the chastisement of the Lord. Some people are sick not because of personal sin or chastisement, but God is simply bringing a test into their lives. It's, uh, we see Job. Job, God brought the trials into his life to bring Job closer to God, to, 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 to mold Job to the man God wanted him to be. Some people are sick because God wants to glorify himself through their lives. In John 11, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. 
sometimes God brings sickness into our lives because oftentimes we forget that God is in control, not us. So, and we must pray of sickness that, that we can glorify God in our sickness. So we look at the, 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 the fact of trials, that trials in this life is inevitable. Now we're going to look at the forms of trials. In verse 2, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. In the Greek, that word for various is poikilos, which means multicolored. And the Greek picture that we have here for that word poikilos is like a rainbow. A rainbow has many hues, many colors. In the same way, we, as we trek through this life, will be hit with various different kinds of trials. We will face trials of mild inconvenience, like losing your keys, to severe trials, like a motor vehicle accident. And just a synonym for the word traumatic event is a severe trial. So we face Physical trials, a physical trials, what, what would include in this category would be such things as an asthma attack, getting COVID, getting sick, uh, a, a malignant growth of cancer. We face emotional trials, the, the, the intense grief of losing a loved one, anxiety over taking your exam, falling into depression. We, we face spiritual trials, persecution, demonic oppression, we face financial trials, bankruptcy, getting laid off from your work. We face relational trials, getting, getting betrayed by a friend. Uh, when your spouse commits adultery, these trials that we experience is, is tailored, made for us, that God in his providence and wisdom allows us to go through certain trials. Jesus experienced the multicolored, vast array of trials. He, the Bible says that there was a time where he didn't even have a place to lodge his head. He said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, he has no place to lay his head. Jesus, for three and a half years, he, he was with one of his closest disciples, one of the twelve. He ate with them. He taught them the best teaching you can ever get. He was under the best teaching, this one disciple. He, he saw the, the miracles of Christ right before his very eyes, and he betrayed Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of shekel. What pain, what agony, what hurt must have went through the heart of our Savior. And not only he, he faced this relational trial, but he also looked upon Jerusalem, and the Bible says he wept looking at the condition of the city. Jesus also looked at one of his beloved friends, Lazarus, died. And the Bible says in John 11 that Jesus wept. So Jesus, of course, the trial of uh, experiencing the agony of the cross and everything that entailed and went with that. And not only did Paul, uh, Jesus face various trials, but Paul as well faces a multicolored, vast array of trials. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28. It, Paul says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. 
I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless, countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. The, the Apostle Paul endured intense levels of, of trials because he has fixed his eyes upon eternity. The Apostle Paul knew that the light momentary afflictions he was experiencing was preparing for him an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. How, how are we to weather the storms of life that is thrown at us? Not only by fixing our eyes upon eternity, but we must... Also, the Bible says to build upon the strong foundation upon Christ and his teachings. Because if our foundation is weak, when the storms of life come, we'll be flat on our backs and we'll throw in the towel and give up. In Matthew 7, 24 to 25, Jesus teaches us that the, the, the only foundation which is strong enough to resist and endure the, the heavy trials of life that's going to be thrown at you is the obedience to the Christ's teachings. Jesus, Jesus promises that, that that's the only thing that will fortify his people against hardships of life. So uh, the next point we want to look at is the, is the function of trials. It, it, if you have your Bible, in James 1.3, James says, for, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here, J James gives us an argument to encourage those, uh, those who are in the midst of trials, he's writing to, that, that trials is a test of our faith. And the fruit of the trial, once we've gone through it, the fruit of it is steadfastness, perseverance, and endurance. Uh, trials come both to the unbeliever and the unbeliever. But the difference is, we as believers, we have the promise of God. We have... The, the, the most precious promise, Romans 8.28, for we know that all things work together for good of those who love God and those who, who are called according to this promise. Those promises are only for those who love God. It doesn't apply to every single person. For, for the unbeliever, even when prosperity comes to their life, which is a good, that, that in itself becomes a snare to them because prosperity becomes an idol and, and they begin to worship and serve money instead of God. They become filled with pride. To the unbeliever, when they, when they get a, a, an affliction, they get, just like us, they get anxious, they get discouraged, they sometimes get angry, but the difference is they don't have a place of solace. They don't have a Father in Heaven whom they can go to for, for guidance, for wisdom, for strength, for grace to endure the trial. But for the believer, every condition is a blessing. Romans 8.28, For we know all things work together for good of those who love God and called according to His purpose. 
When we, give, when we receive prosperity from the Lord, we give God praise and thanks. When adversity strikes us, we, we, that causes us to build steadfastness, build character, build endurance and perseverance. So we're going to look at the function of different trials. And one of the functions of trials is that we may know ourselves. In James 1.3 it says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Why does God test us when he's omniscient? He knows all things. In Deuteronomy 8.2 it says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God already knows what's in our hearts. But the reality is, we oftentimes don't know what's in our own hearts. When, when the children of Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, uh, the hunger and the thirst they was experiencing revealed the condition of their heart. And, and, and the murmuring and the complaining exposed the condition of their heart, which was, a, was, which was they all had hearts, of unbelief and discontentment. And trials have a way of, of exposing us, of showing us which is not, may not at first be perceivable to our natural eyes. The, the one year I lived in India after marriage, I got bit by a small little mosquito, and that mosquito had a, a tropical disease, which was called dengue fever. And dengue fever has a nickname, bone break fever. The, the pain of dengue fever is so intense uh, they call it bone break fever, not because your bones break, but the muscle pain and the bone pain is so intense that it feels like your bones are breaking. Uh, uh, those with dengue fever, uh, it can be life-threatening because your platelets can fall and you can have an intracranial hemorrhage. Uh, I sustained a 103.5 temperature for five days with Tylenol, didn't even touch it. And physically, I became so weak, I, had so I needed someone to carry me to the bathroom. And that, that one week I was admitted in the hospital, the doctor ordered a strict bed rest. And for the first time in my life, I was constrained to a bed 24 hours a day, only getting up to use the restroom. And immediately, that whole five days, I was irritable, angry, and impatient. When the, when the, when the heat of affliction hits your life, the sins that is deep inside of you, you didn't even know you had, begin to rise to the surface. Just like, just like a windstorm exposed the health of a tree, in my backyard, there's a nice big tree, now it's broken because of a storm. The windstorm exposes the health of a tree. If the tree is not healthy, once the windstorm hits, that tree will break in half. Just like fire exposes the purity of a metal in the same way, trials expose the maturity of a Christian. So trials not only allow us to know ourselves, but trials allow us to know God. Through, through, through trials, God allows us trials to enter our lives so we might grow closer and closer to God. And trials can either bring us closer to God if we respond to it in a godly way, or trials can have the opposite effect. If we don't respond to trials in a biblical way, it can push us further and further from the Lord. In his excellent book, Trust in God, Jerry Bridges says that there are three attributes that can get a Christian through any trial. He says the, the, the love of God, the wisdom of God, and the sovereignty of God. The, the Bible says, we know this verse by heart in 1 John, 
God is love. We, we all believe God is love, but when the rubber meets the road, when, when we're going, when you get diagnosed with a sickness, when everything in your life doesn't go the way you planned, one of the first questions we ask is, does God really love me? Then why am I going through all this? Why did I have this loss? Why am I sick? Why am I suffering? Never forget that no one has suffered more than Jesus Christ, but God has loved no one ever more than the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know, if you want to measure the barometer of God's love for you, you don't measure the barometer of God's love for you by looking at your circumstances. You measure the barometer of God's love by looking to the cross. Because when you look to the cross, the barometer of God's love is incalculable. Just like we sang this morning, that God's love, the Father's love is so great. He, he gives sight to the blind. He adopts the orphans. He forgives the sinners. He, he even cleans the rebels. That, that, that is the unfathomable love of God. Not only is God love, but God is infinitely wise. He, he knows what is best for us, and He knows exactly what uh, trial to allow into our lives. But in the middle of a trial, when, we, when we're facing that unbearable pain, agony, and misery, uh, we, we might look at the situation as, and think, what possible good can come out of this? But as the providences of our lives unfold and we look back at our lives, we see that the hand of God was with us. We see that God was doing a work. And, 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 and because of that, because we know who God is, we must, it, although we might not understand why we're going through what we're going through, we must trust God's wisdom. He is, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Not only is God love, not only is God wise, but God is sovereign. The, 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 the sovereignty of God is the, is the most stabilizing truth. Whether you have a mild inconvenience like losing your keys or in a motor vehicle accident, the, the truth that can stabilize you and not make you go insane is the sovereignty of God. And, and, and we must believe that God is in control, not just over the, small things, over the small things of life or just this area, he's in control of all things. If you have cancer and God heals you directly, God is in control of that. If God heals you indirectly through secondary means like doctors or medicine, God is in control of that. But don't think for a moment if that cancer begins to become malignant and proliferates that God has lost control. God is even in control of that, and that may be his ordained means to promote you to glory. Uh, and not only does, uh, through trials, we know ourselves, we know God, but we know God's word. Psalm, the psalmist said in Psalm 119.71, It was good for me to be afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Uh, there's something about trials that causes us to, 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 it causes the word of God just to come alive. There's something about the promises of God. Maybe you haven't looked at Romans 8.28 like the way you do once you're in the trial. The word of God just because you cling closer to the word of God. There was a story of once, Professor Grant Horner, he went to the master's seminary to, to, to get a job. And there he's in the office and across the desk from him in the interview is John MacArthur. MacArthur is interviewing Grant Horner and MacArthur across the table sees Grant, Grant Horner brings his own Bible, and he sees Grant Horner's Bible. 
And MacArthur asks Grant Horner, can you, give me, can you pass that Bible across the table? So he takes Grant Horner's Bible and he looks through it. And what he sees when he looks through Grant Horner's Bible is the Bible is completely tattered. It is falling apart at the seams. And instantly when MacArthur saw Grant Horner's Bible, he hired him on the spot. And MacArthur said, a man whose Bible is falling apart, one thing is true, his life is not. See, God's people, when they're going through a trial, we must dig deeper and deeper into the Word of God. That roots must go deep so that the, the winds of adversity don't make us fall away. So tri- uh, trials also helps us to grow spiritually. It, it was Charles Spurgeon who said, God gets his best soldiers through the highlands of affliction. Throughout church history, we see that the men who was used most mightily by God was men and women who were marked by affliction. God brings his soldiers through the furnace of affliction because God only uses sanctified vessels for his glory. Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers to ever grace this earth. And, and, and he suffered from depression. He had chronic bouts. He had chronic pain from his gout. And he had other ailments. Uh, the Puritan John Owen, he was probably the, the, the greatest theologian in all of church history. Uh, Banner of Truth has a 16 volumes of theological work. And, and John Owen writes on everything from the glory of Christ to the mortification of sin. He has the, greatest, he has the largest published work on the book of Hebrews. Eight, com, eight books just on the book of Hebrews. But how many of you know that John Owen had 11 children? Ten of whom died in infancy. The, the men God used was the men and women God used was marked by suffering. Uh, Joni Erickson Tata, she's one of the uh, longest living quadriplegics in the world. Uh, Joni Erickson Tata, 40 years ago, uh, took a dive in the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, she didn't realize that the water was shallow. As she took a dive, she uh, became instantly paralyzed as she hit the water from her neck down, and she became a quadriplegic for the rest of her life, for the 40 years. And through that intense trial, she came to find Jesus Christ. She um, was led to Christ and became a Christian. And through the years, God has done a work of sanctification in her life, uh, working on her anger, working on her patience, and today, Tony, Joni Erickson Tata reaches hundreds and thousands of pe- disabled people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So trials have a way to humble us. It has a, uh, has a way, uh, trials are God's instrument that is strong enough to break the stubborn back of self-reliance. We're, we're, oftentimes we're so dependent on ourselves, but a trial has a way, like nothing else, to make us run and fall down on our knees and look up to heavens. Trials uh, produce in us endurance. James 1.3 says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The uh, testing of our faith is not to determine whether we have faith or not. The testing of our faith is to purify the faith that we already have. God oftentimes the crucible of suffering to, to, to purify our faith. 
The, the Greek word there for uh, steadfastness is hupomone, which means to endure. When we look at church history, you see that Christians have endured the most severe trials, being thrown alive to the lions, being beheaded, being shunned from society, uh, being marked, hanged. How many Christians would crumble at, at the smallest uh, hardship they face? A difficulty in church, immediately they leave. Uh, a, a difficulty they face in their marriage, they immediately throw in the towel and give up. But God wants his people to have an endurance. And, and, and the small trials that God sends your way, if, if you faithfully respond to those, those will prepare you for the greater trials that you face in the future. And God holds us responsible to endure in the midst of trials. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you as common to man, but God is faithful. And with the temptation, he'll provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. So God is at work in our lives to, to, in preparing us for greater trials. And, and that's what we see in the life of Joseph. When we look at the life of Joseph, jo Joseph, each and every point of his life, he endured. Each and every point of his life, he was faithful. Each and every point of his life, he feared God. Each and every point of his life, he honored God. When Joseph endured the trial of being hated by his brothers and being thrown in the ditch to die, he endured. And that gave him more strength and endurance. To, to, to now, being, now he was thrown, and he faced another greater trial, being thrown into slavery. And he was faithful as a, being thrown into slavery. And that prepared him to, to, to meet a greater trial, to be there with the wicked woman, Potiphar's wife and being tempted to sin. And he was faithful in that temptation, and he fleed. And, and, and that prepared him for the greater trial and gave him more endurance to, to, to be in a jail cell. And being in the jail cell faithfully, enduring, prepared him to one day be second in command in all of Egypt, right under Pharaoh, and being prepared for the famine that was about to come upon the land because he was responsible for the distribution of the goods. Joseph was able to, to, to endure trials because he knew who God was. He, he trusted in the sovereignty of God. He, he said in Genesis 50:20, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Trials equip us for future ministry. Uh, it's 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, that we may be able to comfort them that are in any affliction through the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. In the midst of a trial, God comes down and he, and he comforts us, and he wants us to, with the same comfort he has given us, to go and comfort others who are in a trial. Charles Spurgeon said, I often feel very grateful to God that I have undergone fearful depression. I know the borders of despair and horrible brink of that gulf of darkness into which my feet have almost gone. But hundreds of times I have been able to give a helpful grip to the brethren and sisters who have come into the same conditions which grip I could never given if I had not known their deep despondency. So, so as you do not lose heart, 
brothers and sisters, if you're in a trial, because God is preparing you for future ministry. God is preparing you for that one day to, to, to bring hope to, 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 to that young teenager that may be full of shame and guilt and, and in utter despair contemplating suicide. He, he, he may be preparing you to bring an encouragement to that young brother who has a, a, a chronic illness and sickness and is discouraged. He, he, he may be uh, preparing you to provide comfort for that young widow that just lost her husband and is in full of grief. So we see that trials prepare us for future ministry. Also trials, uh, another, uh, so we looked at the, the function of trials. Now we're going to look at the fruit of trials. In James 1.4, it says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The, the scripture says, let steadfastness have its full effect. The, the, the temptation, the real temptation that we're in when we're in a trial is to not allow that endurance to have its full effect, not to allow the, the purpose of the trial to do its work in you, but to cut the process short. Now, the, the, now sometimes God in his mercy and grace will allow the trial of our life to be cut short. Sometimes, uh, because we might be following some biblical directives, uh, the trial just from following the Bible will be cut short from your life. But there are times where we can take a shortcut to, 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 in an unbiblical way to, to avoid the trial. And, and so sometimes in the trial, we have such an intense desire to be relieved of the pain, the misery that we're facing that we take a shortcut, a shortcut like going to the bottle to drown away all your sorrows, to going to drugs to, to, to numb yourselves and numb your conscience. But in the end of the day, taking this shortcut would never strengthen your faith. It would just make you weak. The, the scripture says in James, it will make you weak and also compound your misery. It will compound your agony. The scripture says in James 1.4, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete. The, the word there for perfect is teleos. It, it's not referring to sinlessness. It, it's referring to uh, being fully developed, to be mature. To, 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 have a, to be Christ-like. And it says, uh, the, and it also says uh, complete. The word there for complete is holokurlas, which means whole, entire, lacking in nothing. Trials does a, such a work in us. The fruit of that is that we would be mature, lacking in nothing of spiritual value. Uh, I, I want to read to you a poem I found that uh, I found to be encouraging. Uh, it was by Grant Colfax Tuller who's an American minister and a hymn writer. He said, My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I do not choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hands as the threads of God and silver in the pattern he has planned. God is the master weaver. When you see a master weaver do its work, at first, when I was in India on the street side, there are uh, people that weave saris. And when you see them weaving the sari, it, it doesn't look like much. It just looks like a plain, uh, a plain cloth and they're just sewing some work. But once the grand weaver is done with his work, all you, you're just in, in, in sheer awe 
of the, of the beauty of the sari. There are some saris that range from $6,000 to $25,000. And when you see the, the hue of colors, the, the different patterns, you're just amazed by that, that, that beautiful tapestry. In the same way, God as the master weaver, he weaves into our lives sorrow. He weaves, he, he brings the, 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 the black thread of, of, of loss and pain. He brings the, the blue thread of, of joy and gain. He, he might bring the, the red thread of, of pleasure, the, the dark thread of, of agony and misery. But when we look back at, at what God is doing, as the providences of God unfold in our life, we see that God was at work. He was doing something. He, he, the perfect tapestry we see is He's making us to the image of His own Son. So, so in conclusion, we see the fact of trials. Trials are inevitable in the Christian life. We see the different forms of trials. We, we face trials of various kinds, multicolored trials. Trials that are a mild inconvenience to severe trials. We, we see that there are, God doesn't just bring trials into your life arbitrarily. God has a purpose and plan for every, every trial has a divine design, as Paul sometimes says. Uh, the, sometimes God brings trials for us that we may know ourselves, that we may God, know God more, that we may know His Word, that we might grow spiritually, grow in endurance, become more Christ-like. Uh, we see that for the believer, the dark providences of life and the good providences of life all work together for our good in this life and all our way to glory. But if you're here today and you have not submitted your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest trial awaits you. In fact, all the trials of this earth cannot compare to the trial that waits in sinners. Jesus is, is benevolent, he is kind, he's tender, he's merciful, but, but, but towards impenitent sinners, he is full of wrath and indignation. One of the scariest verses for me in the Bible is in, it says, uh, speaking of the rich man and Lazarus, it says the rich man, it says he opened his eyes up in hell. He thought he was going to heaven, but it says he opened his eyes and he was in hell. And, and that's a frightening picture because in hell, hell, once you're in there, you cannot escape. Because hell has no ex exit. It's forever and ever and ever. And, and, the, and, the, and the suffering and, and the punishment is for an eternity. But the good news of the gospel is that 2,000 years ago, God, who is benevolent, full of love, sent his son Jesus Christ into this world. Jesus Christ, by his active obedience, obeyed the laws of God, by his passive obedience, died upon the cross, enduring the greatest trial for us, Upon that cross, he bore the wrath of God for his people. Upon Christ was laid our sin. He died for a multitude of people that would believe in him. And a multitude of people, because of Christ's suffering, death on the cross, and resurrection, won't have to experience the trial of eternity of suffering. So if you're here today, come to Christ. In Christ can be found a life. In Christ is the only place where you can find life the only place where you can find wisdom, the only place that you can find solace for your soul. If you reject Christ, you'll be lost in a sea of despair and foolishness. Come to Christ.